Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, Josh Pacheco and Hunter Hughes. You don't see teams get punked in the month of December and go on and hoist Lombardis. You, you, you need to be playing your best football now, not some of your worst. And that's why I sent it over. One team in the last decade to go on and win a Lombardi to lose by double digits in December. That's it. That's, that's the entire list. Off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. That was Ian Fitzsimmons earlier today on Freddie and Harry on ESPN Honolulu. And, of course, you know what team he's talking about, right? That would be uh, America's team, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, after what was, uh, well, uh, a, a tough loss, a disappointing loss. But I wonder, are people taking this loss completely too far? Hunter Hughes is on vacation today. I'm Josh Pacheco. It is off the bench here on ESPN Honolulu, uh, we'll get to uh, University of Hawaii men's basketball takeaways from uh, what we saw last night against Nevada and really kind of the, the grand picture of why last night, well, didn't need to be the kind of a, a show-me game our good friend Artie Wilson was describing on the television side uh, on Spectrum Sports. That's coming up in, in just a little bit. But I, I have heard the gamut on uh, what happened to the Dallas Cowboys yesterday. And for those that don't know, uh, 31 to 10 on the road in Buffalo, in which they lost to a quarterback who threw for just 94 yards and a touchdown. And that was Josh Allen. Not a great result, uh, but the Dallas Cowboys rush defense was abysmal. Uh, James Cook ran for a buck 79 and uh, Dallas just didn't, didn't look very good. But I, I, I take what Ian Fitzsimmons said, and, and I've heard um, the majority of, of what people have said are, are basically, um, A, this is not a surprise. B, uh, this is also one of these disqualifying games. Like, the Dallas Cowboys are not Super Bowl contenders because they lose like this. And as most people know, I am not the biggest Dallas Cowboys fan on earth. But I don't know that people should be taking a loss like that as what feels like another like season ending kind of kind of loss. Like, okay, well, there's our hopes for uh, for February, even though this team has made the postseason, they are a lock to make it, whether they are going to be a wild card team or whether they win the NFC East, they're in. But it's almost like we're talking about a Dallas Cowboys team that's barely barely getting in. They've got 10 wins. They're at the very worst. Well, I shouldn't say the very worst, but as of right now, they're what the five as the best wild card team. Um, it, it, it's like the world ended when Dallas lost the way it did at Buffalo and newsflash for a lot of people. A lot of teams this weekend had uh, some really kind of odd losses. In fact, the last two weeks have provided uh, quite a few stunners in the National Football League. Dallas gets the most conversation because Dallas's uh, the expectations are always, hey, we got to win a championship. It is, again, America's team, and uh, Dallas has not won remotely close to what's expected of them for a really long time. So I, I get it. Uh, we talk about Dallas kind of like how we talk about uh, the Miami Dolphins this year, except Dallas does have a win over Philadelphia, which, you know, guys, can I, can I remind you? Just last week, 
The Dallas Cowboys beat one of the best teams in the NFC. And now you're coming to me talking like, oh, yeah, they're not winning a Super Bowl. Their, their season's done. This is a pretender. This team is not good. Uh, they have been just fooling us for so long. Hold on. Hold on just a second. Um, uh, again, I'll, I'll use the Miami reference when we talk about Dallas. Miami has not beaten a single good team all year. And they get the opportunity to do so now with, uh, you know, everybody kind of wondering what Miami is actually going to be when they get to the postseason. That's right. They beat the Jets. Not a good team. Uh, Their losses, two good teams. Uh, They've got the Cowboys coming up on Christmas Eve, and that should be fun. Two teams that have done very little against the really, really, really good. Uh, you know, in, in Dallas's case, hey, I will give them credit. Uh, again, one win against Philly. At least they've done something that Miami hasn't. But I remind people uh, about the NFC. There are, uh, there are a lot of strong teams, I believe, especially in the AFC. Uh, and even some of those strong teams are giving some really, really good reasons to make you kind of wonder how strong they are. But let me give you the playoff race right now in the NFC. If the season ended today, the Dallas Cowboys are on the road in Tampa. Tampa would be the division winner out of the NFC South. They're bad. Although they did beat Green Bay this week, and I guess I guess bad's a strong word. They're they're okay, but you can't tell me that Dallas is at the same level that a team like Tampa is, or Minnesota is, or the Los Angeles Rams are, because they had a loss to a team that believes it should be going to the postseason. Another team that had the kind of expectations that the Dallas Cowboys did this year, uh, although in a very different slant, that being the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are coming off of a win against Kansas City. They feel good. They're looking a lot better, although, again, yesterday was was kind of sloppy, but, again, they've, they've got the confidence of a team that believes it should be marching toward January with an opportunity to play in the postseason. But let's just, let's again, let's play the Dallas scenario, right? Uh, they're in the postseason right now. They got Tampa. And let's say, uh, let's say they win that one. Then, then what are we looking at next? Philly. Dallas has beaten them. So let, let's not act like Dallas would take on Philadelphia in Philadelphia and get embarrassed. And then what? Let's say they win. Let's just let's play chalk. Then you want to be concerned? Sure. Be concerned about having to go to San Francisco when the Niners roughed up your team. 42 to 10 back in what week five then you ought to be concerned yeah go go for it be concerned but it feels like again Dallas draws a lot of uh, a, a lot of worry from a lot of people and I see you guys on the phones we'll get to you in a moment here at 808-296-1420 Dallas draws a lot of concern so a loss means Stephen A. Smith makes his videos which I absolutely love on the X platform Puts on the cowboy hat, goes on first take, and it feels like, hey, Dallas is, uh, well, Dallas is what it is. Last three games, by the way, at Miami, that's a show-me game for Miami. Because, again, the Miami Dolphins have put up a lot of points, 
but I haven't necessarily felt like the Miami Dolphins have done enough to tell me, based on who they've played, that they are uh, the best team in the AFC. Takeaway record. Detroit, I'm, I'm kind of liking Detroit right now, the way they look. And then Washington, I mean, you, you kind of figure that. Dallas could be a 12-win team. They really could. Our number, 808-296-1420. We see you guys there. Um, you know, Dallas could be a 12-win team, and you would still say that this team is not capable because right now in the NFC, outside of San Francisco and Philly, who else are you going to put in the conversation? And if since Dallas has beaten Philly, um, sorry, I mean, why are we uh, why are we worrying so much about whether Dallas is going to be there in that conversation a little bit later? You can text us as well. Our Zephyr Insurance text lines at eight zero eight two nine six fourteen twenty. I see the phone flash you're going, so we'll get to you guys coming up uh, here in just a little bit. That's if you if you want to worry, the bigger picture is not necessarily. Um, Dallas now? Don't worry about now. Now's not the problem. Worry about Dallas later. That's the bigger thing you should be worried about is Dallas in a year, Dallas in two years. Worry about where the franchise is going then. Now you're fine. Don't you don't and I don't and honestly, I don't think uh most Dallas fans are actually that worried. You shouldn't be. Uh, let's say hi to John, who's calling in here at 808-296-1420. John, what's up? Yeah, so I'm just going to play a little devil's advocate. Cool. Um, my brother's a Dallas fan, so I don't dislike him, and I kind of follow him a little bit. But they've beaten one. So you, you talk about Miami not beating anybody. Dallas has beaten one team with a winning record. Right. And have struggled on the road. They've lost, they lost to Arizona with Arizona having their backup quarterback. Mm -hmm. So when you say Miami this is a show-me game, it's a show-me game for both teams. Miami's beaten no – I mean, um, Dallas hasn't beaten anybody on the road with significance. They've won, beaten one team with a winning record. And so they have a lot to prove, too, just as, just as much as – I mean, they basically Miami with a, a win against Philly at home. You know what I mean? And And – Miami's never been blown out this year. They've lost close games against uh, in their losses. So Dallas has been more healthier scouter, really. So it's a show-me game for both. And say they go to Tampa, they'll be the first team that they're they're playing with a winning record that they'll beat on the road if, that's a, if, if they beat Tampa. That's if Tampa so, has a winning record, too, which is not a – that's not a gimme in the NFC South. Hey, good to hear from you, John. Thank you for calling in. John and John's not wrong. I mean, I don't I don't really have anything to or that much to go against what he said, except I, I still believe it's a a much more show me game for for Miami. But the difference between the two teams, and I think that's why uh there are people who are just kind of more bullish. Uh oh, I shouldn't say more bullish. I think more um unsure 
when you get to a game is sometimes in a big game, you just don't know what kind of Dallas team you're going to get. Where a lot of teams, you feel like on the big stage, you know, I, I don't normally feel differently about Kansas City. Uh, I've, you know, San Francisco has kind of proven it. You get to a big stage and you maybe don't, ex- you know, you're, you're not thinking 100% of the time they're going to win, but you feel like they're going to be in the game. Um, they're not going to lay an egg. And, and John's right. Arizona was not a big game, but they still laid a 28 to 16 egg uh, there in Phoenix. That was probably Dallas's worst game. I don't and and I don't put that in the same category as what happened yesterday in Buffalo. Again, Buffalo's better than their record. Um, Buffalo didn't play great. Miami was just bland. Or I'm sorry, not Miami. Dallas was just bland and boring uh, and ineffective. And so I, I put those two a little bit differently. Um, you know, the Arizona game, the Buffalo game, and you know, Miami rarely loses games to subpar competition. Although, let's face it, Saturday that that uh, that that game again, not Saturday, um, the the game against Tennessee was a little bit of a disappointment uh, from uh, for the Miami Dolphins. The way that one kind of kind of turned out. So. Um, what are what are we saying here in the grand scheme of things? What we're saying is Dallas is still in the NFC conversation. And and I put them, I still put them right there with San Francisco, although San Francisco, I think, is a, a level ahead uh, of Philly. Philly's about to uh, receive the ball here uh, Monday night football against the uh, Seattle Seahawks in the uh, the Flex game. Uh, that's over on our sister station, CBS 1500. You can watch it on ABC. And I, I'm sorry, Detroit, I put Dallas right above you. Uh, Dallas, I feel like, still has the ability to win big games. Hey, Detroit, um, Chicago? Remember uh, remember the Chicago Bears game just uh, just a couple of weeks ago? Sorry, that's, uh, that's still on my mind, losing 28-13 to at one of the worst teams uh, in the National Football League in the Chicago Bears. Uh, one of our texters to our Zephyr Insurance text line from the 221. Uh, are Buffalo and Dallas the two contending Jekyll and Hyde teams in the two conferences? Um, I, don't, I don't think Dallas is alone in uh, in the NFC. I mean, I, I just mentioned Detroit. I think you still got to put Detroit in the conversation. I, I, In fact, I think there are a lot of teams in the NFC that I'd consider Jekyll and Hyde. And I think one of the other worst ones or best ones uh, I'd probably put the Rams there at seven and seven that I think can beat really good teams. I think that offense is better than what it is. It just doesn't doesn't really have a consistent running game. But man, um, if if Stafford can get Cooper Cup and his receivers going down the field, uh, the Rams can beat anybody. Uh, right now, the Bills are not even a playoff team. So let's not even talk about the Bills as one of those Jekyll and Hyde teams. I don't even know that I, I don't know that the Bills will make the playoffs, but if you had to give me a Jekyll and Hyde team in the AFC, it's actually Kansas City. I, I know. I, I, that's odd. But Kansas City's nine and five. Patrick Mahomes is frustrated. That team looks like it's not together. That is, a, I've said it many times, they are at least a step slow. They are laden with mistakes. 
they have been able to get by at nine and five just on sheer talent alone. But that doesn't mean that they're great. And on any given day, I feel like Kansas City is susceptible to uh, to, to getting knocked off. That, to me, is a Jekyll and Hyde team in the AFC playoff race. It's the Chiefs. Uh, you can uh, get those texts in at 808-296-1420. When we come back, uh, we will head to the hardwood. Got to see Hawaii and Nevada, obviously. The biggest game on the schedule so far for the Rainbow Warriors. And despite the score, I came away with some things that you can work on. Don't let the score totally fool you. We'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. Don't forget you can play pigskin picks at ESPNHonolulu.com. You can win some weekly prizes. We've got our big cash prize at the very end. So log on today at ESPNHonolulu.com. Pick some NFL games and uh, good luck potentially winning some prizes throughout the year. It's brought to you by M. Dyer Global and by Young's Fish Market. Josh Pacheco solo all this week on Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. Oh, this is Christmas. We'll get a Sports Center update coming up in just a little bit. Update you on Eagles birds. Well, they're both birds. Eagles Seahawks. What's going on in the NBA? That's coming up here in just a little while. Yesterday was so important uh, for the uh, University of Hawaii men's basketball team for uh, a, a few reasons. One, uh, I think it was important to see what Hawaii was. Uh, was Hawaii a team that you could take seriously when we talk about postseason contention, when we talk about uh, you know how good they are in the big picture of the Big West and the big picture in general? You know, yesterday was truly uh, that first time in which you had an opportunity to get a glimpse of a of a team playing uh what you would hope and I, and I I don't mean this as a, a you know forgetting about Utah Utah on the road power conference team I I look at that a little bit differently but taking on another group of five school a very good one in uh, in Steve Alford's team and uh you, you get an opportunity to see where Hawaii stacks up I, I think the other one uh, or the other reason why yesterday was so important was because frankly um Hawaii fans haven't necessarily been coming out to uh, to to watch this Rainbow Warrior basketball team. I mean, I get it. I, I keep thinking of conversations that I've had with uh, with Artie Wilson and others about schedules, and I kind of partly agree and partly don't with some of those ideas of how you should schedule. Um, but you know, no offense. the The scheduling was hampered by the uh, the the Rainbow Classic and the inability to schedule teams for the Rainbow Classic. But it is hard to ask fans to go out and watch Central Arkansas and Hawaii Pacific and UH Hilo and Niagara. It's hard to ask them to go out and uh, you know be able to spend their time, spend their money on going to those games. Additionally, and this is where I was really bummed, um, this was a game that I thought was wasted at 5 o'clock. I, I know that a lot of these Sunday games are matinee games. I don't know what, what made it a 5 o'clock schedule, but this was a game that 
even before the year started, before we knew what Hawaii could potentially get to, before we even knew what Nevada could potentially do. This is an NCAA caliber team, an NCAA tournament caliber team. And I felt like this was a game that you shouldn't waste at five o'clock. Um, I would have loved to see this game at seven, see it in prime time, get as many people out as possible. Let's, let's face it. It's Christmas week. People are going out to the malls. People are going shopping. They've got a lot of priorities and a lot of errands to do because it's, um, you know, the second to last weekend before the holiday, but it really feels like Christmas is, is truly right there. And you, you got a lot of people with plans. Not like the malls close at 7, but you're asking people to come in early. And I didn't get to see the turnstile number, but I saw the attendance tickets issued was under 5,000, which tells me that the turnstile number is under 4. And for a game like Nevada, it's it's a little disappointing. We'll talk more about the game coming up in a little bit. Traffic Sports Center on Traffic Later Sports Center coming up. ESPN Honolulu brings you athletes. You can check it out at our uh, YouTube page at ESPNHonolulu.com. It is brought to you by Central Pacific Bank, Hawaii's best bank. It is off the bench here on ESPN Honolulu. Hunters on vacation. Uh, I'm Josh Pacheco. Great to have you in. Uh, you can get in touch with us. Our uh, Zephyr Insurance text line is at 808-296-1420. You can call us as well at 808-296-1420. So we were talking about Hawaii basketball before we hit the heart out there for Sports Center. Uh, we kind of took that time, because I know we didn't have a lot of time, just on attendance and just on kind of the concern about that game being 5 o'clock and what that kind of says and the scheduling part. We'll, we'll go through that in a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll go back to that uh, a little bit later on. But on the game itself, I, I don't want people to get too caught up in the ending. Um, the ending left Hawaii scattered. Um, it left Hawaii just kind of almost lost in the final minute. But that wasn't just a product of two plays. I mean, the the Justin McCoy dribble off his foot that led to a turnover. Jovan McClanahan with a double dribble because he had no way of getting a shot off in time with the length and the size of Nevada's guards defensively. But we were, honestly, we were kind of building to see that conclusion anyway. Uh, if you watched that second half uh, and you saw how little Hawaii got from the perimeter, Hawaii was 0 for 4 from the three-point line in the second half. You could kind of see that happening. Nevada's defense in the second half, especially on the outside, was uh, spectacular. That's the potential kryptonite for this Hawaii team. And I heard Aron Gannat talk about it after the game where he was talking about balance and trying to find the balance. And yesterday, um, you know, without having the three ball in the second half and all eight of, I mean, Hawaii's, what, 29 points came mostly from the field, although they did they did go to the free throw line quite a bit in the second half. Um, that's not necessarily Hawaii basketball. Hawaii wants to knock down a bunch of threes, which they are capable of. Uh, Hawaii wants to, and I re- recall them saying, 40% of our shots 
should be from outside the three-point line. And Hawaii technically is is kind of there. Uh, they've been kind of on the under at times. But, um, again, because it was building to that, I don't think anybody saw those last couple of possessions coming. And I think it takes away for a lot of people the fact that Hawaii was, at times, the better-looking team. Hawaii defensively, I thought, was able to disrupt Nevada quite a bit. Yeah, Nevada had five players who scored in double digits by the end of the night. Um, But Nevada felt it, it looked disrupted. Nevada looked like they didn't have a lot of great looks. Some they did uh, that really didn't go down for them, but they didn't have a lot of great looks. Uh, They were hassled and pressured uh, by Hawaii's defense. You know, really in that second half when they realized, you know, we got nothing from outside the arc, when they kind of took it to Hawaii on the bounce going to the rim, uh, I thought Nevada showed that outside of a couple of drives to the rim inside the last 10 minutes, Nevada showed that they were, I don't want to say the fresher team, but they were the team that was probably more conditioned toward the end of the game to withstand a rally um, and to be able to kind of impose itself uh, over the remainder of the game. But outside of that, Hawaii, I'd I'd say for a, a decent chunk of the first half, outplayed Nevada, looked better. And then when Nevada came out right out of the locker room and caught Hawaii, I, I think, you know, unfortunately, in some really bad defensive situations, um, that really kind of changed the tone of the game. And while Hawaii hung around and got to the free throw line and, um, you know, tried to struggle through offensively and allow its defense to to kind of win the game, um, you, you kind of saw the difference. Those first couple of minutes in the second half made all all of the difference in how the game would ultimately be won. Uh, I I put this on on the X platform yesterday. There were, I, I think there were four um, different takeaways for me from that loss. And I think one, again, um, you've got to credit Nevada's perimeter defense. Uh, Hawaii only hits three threes all in the first half. Go back through those final 20 minutes and... Tell me how many clean looks that Hawaii got on any perimeter shot. I'm not just talking about a three-pointer, but anything in the perimeter. You know, I I, I still have the visions of Noel Coleman trying to take a, a step back 19-footer from the right wing. You know, and, and Ruli Def had a, a couple of decent looks, but outside of that, there really wasn't a lot. Hawaii had to find a way to get to the rim. Hawaii had to try to find a way to kind of kind of pound the ball in. Bernardo De Silva was certainly a help offensively, but outside of that, guards couldn't make a lot of headway to the rim, and that meant that the Hawaii offense really just fizzled. Nevada's defense, I I think, takes a lot of the credit for that. It's less about a a, a Hawaii complaint. It's more about what Nevada did right. That's what championship teams will do. And and we talked about it on the pregame show, Gary Dickman and I, on Rainbow Warrior Countdown, that this game was largely going to be decided by defense. And both of these teams, yes, even Hawaii, 
both of these teams showed the kind of defensive effort that can play you in a conference tournament, deep into a conference tournament, uh, and can even play you potentially to an NCAA tournament or any kind of postseason tournament. That's what you saw, um, you know, from from both of those teams in large stretches. Secondly, Hawaii's free throw shooting has taken a couple of notches backward from last year to this year. And while we talk a lot about what you need to do defensively, and Hawaii has certainly uh, made some jumps defensively from last year, uh, the free throw shooting is a problem. Uh, we You can't deny that. Hawaii shoots 69% from the free throw line. They go 13 of 22 in the second half. And you look at some of the players who did not do well from the free throw line, and, and they surprise you. Um, Bernardo De Silva, I guess, not a surprise. Uh, he's had free throw troubles the last couple of years. But Noel Coleman goes, oh, I mean, I mean, he was, well, he was better. He had a weird miss at one point in the game. Um, McCoy missed a couple. They were 25 of 36 from the free throw line, but nine second half misses really kind of eats you at, at you a little bit, but Coleman should be a better free throw shooter. He's in the mid seventies. He should be in the low eighties at, at the very least. Um, they are, <coughs> excuse me. They are on average shooting 69.5% from the free throw line. And, that won't win you the big close games. You need to be at the worst low 70s. Last year was different. Hawaii was 74.7% from the free throw line. We're talking about a five percentage point difference from last year to this year. And that's remarkable because this is a good shooting team. And if your three-point shooting cannot match up to what you do at the free-throw line, because that normally means a a good three-point shooting team doesn't always get to the line if you're relying on the three-point shot. Um, But if you're getting to the free-throw line, you got to make them. You got to be better than 69%. Uh, That has become uh, kind of apparent. Third, I think you need more Juan Munoz. And I know this was a game in which he, like many of Hawaii's guards, he struggled. He had a quarter of Hawaii's turnovers. Nevada's guards, again, like they did to almost everybody, didn't give Juan Munoz a a lot of ability uh, to be able to to, to dribble by, uh, be creative with the basketball. He had a couple assists. Uh, finding, I, I know at least one was really at F. I think both actually were really at F underneath where he kind of lulled the defense a bit to sleep. They were kind of creeping up on him a little bit because he is able to make some moves off the dribble, whether going forward or stepping back for a three. And really at F was left under the rim for you know open baskets. But he didn't really get the opportunity or nor the space to be able to be creative. That's one thing about Munoz. Very good passer undoubtedly, but the creativity uh, is one of his best assets. I think he is Hawaii's most creative player when he's got the basketball in his hands. 
Um, but the only 11 minutes is a uh, very clear look at what he, what, what he will struggle against. And you put him up against taller guards who are disciplined defensively and won't completely bite. You get that. I mean, he, I think he did get him to bite on a three-point attempt that send him to the line, and he was two for three at that point. Um, but that is that's that's his kryptonite. It's Jovan McClanahan's as well, uh, and you could see in that second half, McClanahan was almost fighting um, any way to get space, any way to get open. Uh, you know, even that foul within the last two minutes in which he basically drove right at a defender and forced the foul, which you, the defender did everything right. I mean, he was there. You know, he didn't give McClanahan a lane to the basket. McClanahan just basically drove right into him trying to make something happen and happened to get to the free throw line uh, for his efforts of just trying to make any play possible. Think about how many clean drives to the rim Hawaii got late in that game. Could probably think of one, maybe two in the second half that were started by Hawaii guards making plays off the dribble, whether it's for themselves or for a drive and kick. Can't think of much. And that is uh that that's going to bother you. I mean, you're not going to see a whole lot of that in the Big West. You will see you know, a few teams that can bring you some taller guards. Uh but Nevada's a a different uh different type of opponent altogether. And that's why we even talked about that in the pregame. That's the first thing I noticed sitting there watching them shoot is tall length across the board. Our number by the way 808-296-1420. That's how you can get in touch with us here on Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. We see you guys there. We'll, we'll bring you in here to the conversation in just a little bit. Uh, the last thing on my list of yesterday, what changed um, the tone of the game, and we, we talked about this a little while ago, was the lapses defensively that Hawaii had. There weren't a ton, but there were enough. There were a couple early in the second half where you had uh, open players on the weak side of the paint that were able to get loose off of a pass and score inside. Uh, there were a few of them that kind of changed the way the scoreboard looked there. Uh, early on, Nevada was able to extend the lead a bit. Hawaii had to kind of play catch-up from there as Nevada was the, the better team out of the locker room. And while it cleaned up a little bit, uh, thank you, Morsec, for... Uh, a great you know, black, uh, uh, backside block coming in uh, off the weak side, I should say, uh, that forced a, a shot clock violation toward the end. Thank you to him. Um, but but really, there were a lot of uh, a, a lot of challenges that Hawaii's defense had in that stretch, and that was not a good stretch uh, because that did change the game. Those are the minute things that come into play that lead to Hawaii losing. I don't want to give people the impression that, oh, you know, Hawaii was, uh, you know, you saw a lot of the negative. No, I think you saw a lot of the good. Uh, Bernardo De Silva needed a really good game offensively. This was an important game for him, and I think he got some of that. That was uh, that was big. Uh, and, and, you know, 
Nevada was a top 50 team net rating. Although you don't need the net rating to tell you how good Nevada is. But Hawaii was there stride for stride. Despite what you think about in the second half, they again were were right there. That is the kind of hope you take away from a game like that. But bigger picture. Again, as we lead to the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic, I think there is a bigger picture about what yesterday also said about how Hawaii needs to prepare for games like this. That's still to come. But first, it's day five of our Kaliki Maka giveaway presented by Hawaii Dental Service. Head to our Instagram page at ESPN Honolulu today for a chance to win a gift card for some delicious sweet treats from Il Gelato. You can get in touch with us on the basketball conversation. It's off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. A little bit later on the show, we've got a pair of tickets to every single session of the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic presented by the Hawaiian Islands. That's six sessions. That's 12 games. That is lots and lots and lots and lots of basketball. Uh, We'll give that away coming up here a little bit later on in the show. Our Zephyr Insurance text line at 808-296-1420 on Hawaii basketball. Uh, This is is from the 757. Our guards are short, so taller guards like Nevada will give us problems. Yes, but it's not just the size. Uh, You can have taller guards, but you've also got to be dependable defensively where you can use your length um, and your your ability to kind of stay wide defensively to keep keep a good guard off the dribble away. Like, if you're undisciplined and you don't move your feet very well, uh, you're going to commit a lot of fouls or you're going to let even smaller guards with a good ability to use the ball off the bounce to get by you to the rim or create the drive and kicks and, and all of that stuff. Nevada has the perfect storm of elevated sized guards, really good defensively, good with their size, knows how to use it. And, and, and they don't take a lot of chances. They don't bite a lot, uh, which means their defense doesn't have a, a lot of bad possessions. Grand scheme of things, yes. And, and this is where, as, as well, when when you talk about what Hawaii has to do to negate that, because the three-point shot's not always going to be there when you don't have uh, the, the clear lane to, to get a shot over a taller defender. You've got to be better off the dribble. And that's where sometimes Hawaii is not the strongest. Um, Hawaii does not create offensively a lot of really strong, either off screens or, um, you know, I I would say even strong angles to the basket. That's why a lot of times you will see Jovan McClanahan kind of struggle because he kind of tries to bully his way to the rim with the dribble, but he doesn't have necessarily the, the greatest um, you know, first step off the dribble to get to the rim. So that's why a lot of times you'll see he tries to get to the rim, he's stuck in the paint, and then that patented fadeaway is not necessarily because, um, you know, he's, he's a wizard at that shot. The patent fadeaway is because he can't get to the rim. And you've got to find a way to get a, get a shot off if no one is open around you, and hence 
um, that's a shot that's worked for him. But a lot of times, he's getting deep into the paint with nowhere to go. And you'll see him kind of pivot and with his back to the basket and look around and try to find someone to get it to. Um, so he finds himself in more situations like that as compared to more situations where his lane to the basket is free. I would say Noel Coleman is probably, and, and maybe Juan Munoz are the best off the dribble to be able to make plays. Um, but that's kind of how you have to, um, that, that's kind of how you have to, to to beat a team that is taller than you. One more here uh, from the 208. Hawaii will win. <laughs> Hawaii will win the defend the diamond head title if they won. Uh, defend? Yeah, I mean, Hawaii's going to be able to put up points, and we've seen it, but I think they will win the title just exactly how you said it. If you defend for 40 minutes against teams that can offer up some really good offensive play, and again, Nevada was that team, and Hawaii did a nice job of just kind of giving them enough it wasn't necessarily an amazing, outstanding performance that Nevada brought you offensively, but Hawaii gave ground just enough. And that was the difference in Hawaii losing that and, and, the, and the turnovers toward the end. <coughs> Excuse me. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think this gives you some hope that Hawaii and the Big West will be kind of around that conversation like we saw uh, just last year with the belief that you can get past the first round when it comes to a conference tournament. All right, Sports Center coming up. We've got a look at traffic. I'm going to finish up the Hawaii basketball conversation right at the top with why scheduling kind of matters here. That's coming up next. Bells will be ringing. Coming up in just a little while. Did you notice something about those Saturday showdown games that the NFL had? Notice the uh, not stars that were put in positions to uh, be star like. We'll talk about that coming up uh, in just a little bit. It is off the bench. Hunter Hughes is on vacation. I'm Josh Pacheco. Thanks for spending some time with us this afternoon. Uh, you can get in touch with us. Our Zephyr Insurance text line is at 808-296-1420. You can call us at uh, 808-296-1420. We spent a lot of last hour talking about Hawaii basketball, and I wanted to start this hour on it just from a, a, a bigger picture here. Uh, we talked a lot about the Nevada game, which kind of gives us a snapshot of where this team goes at Portland coming up on uh, Thursday. But the, the other side of the conversation is the, pre the, the prep for last night, the kind of prep for last night. Everybody talks about scheduling. I have talked about it. It was talked about a lot last night on the television side. I was watching the replay uh, of Canola and Artie. Uh, talking about this game because of the scheduling. Artie had called it a, a, a show-me type of game for the University of Hawaii. And, well, he was absolutely right that you could call that game kind of a quote-unquote uh, show-me game. When I, um, when, I have, when I have this conversation, know that 
I, I know it is difficult. And it's very difficult uh, to to schedule teams to come out here. And this is where I have disagreements with uh, with with a lot of people who say that it should be very easy to get teams out here. Uh, I don't believe that to be the case. Um, I think it is it, it is harder. I think there are a lot of options for teams on where they want to go and 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 play a game. I look at Long Beach State, for example. Long Beach State is uh, Long Beach State is able to uh, just drive down to USC, take on another California team. There are not a lot of restrictions that you know are are there. It's a little bit different when uh, it, it's a little bit different. When, uh, when when you think of where Hawaii is and how that kind of translates. And, and that's why I disagree with a lot of people on the ease of scheduling. It is different in every sport, but I think that there has to be a way to balance that out if there are certain things that don't necessarily work out in your favor. Let me give you the example. Uh, I look at Laura Beeman. One of the you know real standout things about her schedule, she's able to get one solid team to come here every year. This year it was Washington. We've seen Stanford in the past. Yet there is also a back and forth. That back and forth is things like uh, this week where Hawaii's traveling. They're going to go to UCLA. There is a certain balance of playing at home. There are teams that are name recognized teams, whether they are uh, a Washington or whether you know uh, a Santa Clara or a San Francisco or a San Jose State. I mean, Hawaii's playing road games at UCLA and Stanford along with with Santa Clara. But there is a balance. Laura Beeman's non-conference record uh, has not been not not always great. They're uh, depending on what happens against UCLA, the worst case scenario is Hawaii goes three and six in their non-conference. But that is the buildup to playing in the Big West and winning the Big West potentially, which Hawaii has won the Big West tournament twice with the ultimate goal of getting to the NCAA tournament. I'll look at last year as an example. Hawaii by record I thought was going to be a 16 seed last year just because of, of their record. They're a, a, a non-major conference, but you know, at 18 and what 14, you know why Hawaii got a break? Hawaii got a break because they challenged themselves. Hawaii went to Oregon state. Hawaii played Stanford at home. UNLV last year was pretty good. While Hawaii was one and two against those teams, and while Hawaii opened up its non-conference schedule at what zero and four, what Hawaii did was use those games uh, to to get them better. Hawaii had one non-conference win last year going into Big West play. Hawaii was one and seven, but what they did in those first eight games built them, positioned them well 
to be able to make a deep run into the Big West tournament and ultimately go on to the NCAA tournament. I think of Rich Hill, uh, and and his scheduling idea kind of changed a little bit. Remember this year, um, they're not really traveling in in uh, in non conference play. In fact, they're staying here. You know, outside of those non conference one off, well, the the one non conference runoff in uh, one off in conference play at Santa Clara, there is that one non conference game uh, at UH Hilo on Wednesday, February twenty eighth. I'm excited for that one. Outside of that. Hawaii's non-conference schedule is at home. Hawaii's first month, sans the UH Hilo game, is all at home. And while that sounds a little bit similar to, um, you know, what Hawaii men's basketball does, there is a difference. The difference is, and, you know, Mike Trapasso did it, Rich Hill's doing it, good teams come here. The advantage is good teams want to play in better weather where it might be harder to play where they are. Good teams come here, want to win. Rich Hill's got an RPI strategy. The RPI strategy is play teams from outside of our region. Hope you beat them. If you don't beat them and you're you're contending with them, hope that they do well themselves. And, uh, and you know, you, you take that into a, a potentially good record. Build your resume. That's what you're hoping to do. <coughs> that being said, that's where I think the men's basketball scheduling is very different. But not necessarily at the point where it kind of aligns you in the way that you want. And, you know, this would have been the case regardless of the Rainbow Classic, if the Rainbow Classic was here or not. So let, let's let's explain that for a little bit. The, you know, what you would like is to have more than just a, you know, a notable name. Next year, we know at the very least North Carolina because uh, they're on their way to the, uh, to the, to the All-State Maui Invitational. This year it's Nevada, and that's and that's fine. But I think you would like to have outside of the Diamond Head. I think you'd like to have, in you know, at, at least one more standalone game with a team that is kind of in in a in a similar position as you. Uh, you know, not just in net rating, but also in conference. Nevada isn't necessarily similar. Nevada is a group of five team, but Nevada was a very good barometer for where you would like to be based on their on their positioning. And you saw how Hawaii kind of stood to that. Um, but if you can't be in that position, if you can't get those teams, and this is the part where I agree with things that Artie Wilson has said in the past, that if you can't get them at home, then... If that means you've got to travel a second time, then to me, it's worth it. I'm not forgetting about playing at Utah, but I don't call that a barometer game, although Hawaii was, for the most part, in it for a good you know half plus of the game. But Utah's a Power 5 team. <laughs> Excuse me. There's like something stuck in my throat, and I just can't get it out. Um... But Utah's a Power 5 team. It's a very different comparison. So that means, 
let's let's give another example. Let's let's say if you can't get another comparable team here, then it's worth it to go on the road. Do what Hawaii's doing. Uh, or the women's basketball team's doing. Going to UCLA. If that means going on the road and playing at Pepperdine. Or going on the road and playing San Francisco, where Chris Gerlifson's done a really nice job there. If that means you're going on the road and playing uh, one of the better Big Sky teams. Or you're going on the road and you're, you're rekindling a relationship with uh, New Mexico State, who's now in Conference USA. I know that those aren't necessarily power names, but... In region and in similar kind of success, you'd like to see where you stack up there. You'd like to see some of those games in November. Why? Because that helps lead you to where you want to be going into the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic. I don't believe at all that a game in late December should be a show-me game. I don't, I don't believe that one bit. Like, I'd like to kind of know a little bit more about a team based on similar challenges, based on experiences, really in the first month of the year. So by the first week of December, I'm finding, uh, I'm, I'm finding uh, a good definition of this team. And I think, I, I think furthermore on that, um, you don't want to be peaking late in the game. You know, you don't want to peak too late. I think you want to be able to have a good identity at the right time. That's why yesterday it's it's good. Um Hawaii being there is good, but at the same time it kind of makes you you're you're asking yourself for the first time at least at least as fans you're probably saying to yourself, "All right, now you know this team can compete." But now it is glaring against a team like this. It is glaring what you need to do. Those are the kind of things that I think you kind of hope that you learn a little bit earlier. Like I said, glaring things is finding a way to do a better job getting off the dribble. Glaring thing for me is free throw shooting. That was not, I mean, the the free throw shooting percentage, what it was, is what it was earlier in the year but it doesn't get magnified until you play a game like this that is close. So that's kind of what you take away. And that's, for me, I'm not in the scheduling room, but I would find somewhere in the middle of where Laura Beeman does it and of where Rich Hill does it. And I'm not uh, I'm not excluding what, what Robin Amo does because... Robin has what usually one really good non-conference trip, and it is a really, really good non-conference road trip. But she also has the good teams coming down here too. So she kind of has the Laura Beeman style of scheduling. If you're if there is no team in the athletics department that schedules kind of the same way that your program does, and you haven't really had the postseason success, like, for example, women's basketball or women's volleyball that baseball wants to have, if you haven't had that same kind of success, then I really do believe that you kind of look at what you're doing and see, is it helping us? Is it benefiting us right now? 
or do we need to kind of relook at our strategy and see what we are able to accomplish to get us in a better position in mid-December going into the Hawaiian Airlines Diamondhead Classic? And reminder, Big West Conference play starts next week. That's why. To me, that is that is vital. And remember, conferences are playing uh, conference games earlier and earlier and earlier. And I'm sure at some point, the Big West will probably do the same thing. So again, getting yourself right is incredibly important. Hey, coming up, uh, Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic presented by the Hawaiian Islands. We, in fact, have... A pair of tickets to all sessions. That's the six sessions, the 12 games. We want to get you there. We'll do a little bit of trivia right now uh, at 808-296-1420. Again, all 12 games of the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic presented by the Hawaiian Islands. We will get you there. Again, we'll do trivia. And trivia is going to be based on the game last night between Hawaii and Nevada. Dial in at 808-296-1420. While we get you guys through the banks, I want to remind you about Pigskin Picks, which you can play along at ESPNHonolulu.com with weekly prizes, the grand prize at the end of the season, all for getting your NFL picks correct. Uh, That's at ESPNHonolulu.com, brought to you by M. Dyer Global and by Young's Fish Market. We'll get traffic here. We'll give away those Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic tickets coming up as well. You're listening to Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. Hey, we're doing trivia for uh, Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic tickets presented by the Hawaiian Islands. You can uh, dial in at 808-296-1420. We're going to do the trivia uh, based on Hawaii's game against Nevada yesterday. Uh, So if you want to jump in on that, all 12 games, uh, six sessions, uh, your chance to go to the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic. We'll, uh, We'll line things up here at 808-296-1420. It is off the bench. Hunter's off. Uh, I'm Josh Pacheco. Coming up in a little bit, did you notice something about those uh, those Saturday showdown games that uh, that the NFL put out on Saturday? Those uh, those three games that they flexed into a Saturday afternoon to try to create you know this this late season buzz around the NFL, which the bummer part. It goes right up against college football bowl games, which, as much as there are too many of them, uh, they're still kind of still kind of interesting. Where it's the first day of bowl games. That's why that Saturday, even even though it's like what watching Jacksonville State, and it's watching Boise State against UCLA, and it's watching uh, Jerry Kill's team. Uh, you know, in their final game after what was a spectacular season there in the Conference USA. Um, you know, eh, I kind of wish we could wait a week. Like, fine, you, you want to put the NFL up this Saturday, and they're going to put up a couple of games on Saturday, uh, which will have a slight competition to the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl, which kicks off at 530. Then, okay, you know, the Hawaii Bowl is going to be the last football game of the day. That's fine. Um, but... When you have that first day of uh, of 41 games in the college football bowl season, I kind of like for that to to stand on its own. Plus, the other thing, I mean, you're you're playing week 15 games that still have so much meaning, and you still have some of these teams that are coming off of 
uh, short rest in a or shorter rest in a flex period, trying to to keep themselves in the hunt. I mean, look at look at Pittsburgh, look at Minnesota, look at Denver. Denver looked amazingly, amazingly awful, losing to the Lions forty-two to seventeen, and looked like we saw a little more dysfunction. Uh, on that Denver team, something that kind of reminded you a little bit of the dysfunction last year, just different coach, same quarterback. I don't know. Maybe there's a trend. Uh, we'll talk about that more when we come back off the bench. Frosty, the snowman, was a jolly, happy soul. Good to have you in. It is off the bench. Get another look at traffic coming up in uh, just about 10 minutes or so. Couldn't help but notice on Saturday, taking in a bunch of the Saturday showdown games that the NFL put together, the large amount of backup quarterbacks that we saw leading their teams in postseason situations. Uh, In fact, those first two games all featured backups. Mitch Trubisky in, in, uh, in Pittsburgh, Gardner Minshew going for Indy. Uh, Jake Browning going for Cincinnati. And, uh, of course, you heard uh, Nick Mullins. Heard from Jim Baskell there just a moment ago. Nick Mullins will get another opportunity in Minnesota despite the overtime loss, the 27-24 loss in Cincinnati. And I guess I'll throw out Denver and, and Detroit because you actually saw starting quarterbacks there. But those first two games in standalone games, the NFL featured and kind of knowingly featured Four teams without their star quarterbacks trying to compete for uh, postseason standing in the National Football League. And weirdly enough, it kind of worked. I mean, we're watching the AFC, watching what Cincinnati did uh, with their go-ahead field goal in overtime that jumped them from out of the postseason to into the postseason. And then what the Colts did to Pittsburgh, and by the way, uh, Mason Rudolph is in line to start this coming weekend for Pittsburgh as Mike Tomlin makes a quarterback change, although he does say Kenny Pickett could be active this weekend. Uh, but the Colts winning jumps them into the playoff mix and then the Bengals right back out. So in a way, while the star power at quarterback wasn't necessarily there, it was still kind of meaningful the least meaningful were the two guys who are actually starting their games from, from week one of the Jared Goff threw five touchdowns, but it wasn't really about him. It will, uh, uh, it will be more along the lines of what Russell Wilson did not do. And more on that coming up uh, in, in just a little while, but take those four in Mullins and Browning and Minshew and in, uh, in, in, Mitch Trubisky, and although we can kind of throw Trubisky out now when we look at this weekend, we'll talk, I guess, a little bit more about Pickett back into the mix. So I guess we knock it down to three. Look at look at the three that will actually have their jobs next week. And you got to talk about the, the auditions that these three are creating. Heck, Jake Browning, mark my words, Jake Browning is not going to be a backup quarterback for very long. They love him there in Cincinnati. He's he's not Joe Burrow, but he's pretty darn <laughs> excuse me, but he's um pretty darn close at the moment. The way that he is kind of moving that offense comfortably. I wouldn't say confidently, but comfortably 
moving that offense. If Cincinnati gets to the postseason with Jake Browning kind of, you know, saving the season, if you will, with Burrow Hurt, um, that's going to get him the ability to play really anywhere. Right now, by the way, Bengals are in. Bengals are the six, right ahead of Indianapolis uh, at eight and six. This all after what happened yesterday. So technically right now, Cincinnati's in, backup quarterback. Indy's in, backup quarterback. Cleveland's in, backup quarterback. Jacksonville may have a backup quarterback because Trevor Lawrence is in the concussion protocol. Um, But the bigger picture is the ability to shine in the spotlight that you necessarily weren't put in the position to shine in. Like Browning's best in that position right now. And he's fortunate, yes, that their starter might be out, but their core playmakers aren't. You still got to get him the ball. You still got to move the team down the field. But you throw for 324. You've got one of your receivers making a you know, one, one, you know, great play toward the end. You're able to you know, come back down from a big deficit in the third quarter. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. And I think you got to credit uh, what he has been able to do in order to keep that team afloat. Gardner Minshew, I think, is the other one. Gardner, we've, we've seen Gardner Minshew before. We've seen him start. And at that time, and I still kind of believe it now, I don't think Gardner Minshew is uh, a starting quarterback again in the National Football League. I don't, I, I don't see him as someone that has significantly reliable snaps down the road. But would a team want him at some point? I mean, any team... Nowadays, that need some depth at that position will look at him as one of the first guys they will call because this season has proven more than anything that you cannot skimp at quarterback. If you can find yourself uh, a Nick Mullins, if you can find yourself a Gardner Minshew to sit and wait in the wings, then you absolutely need one of those guys. And if if that means that the backup quarterback market is going to be a little more expensive than it has been in the past, then so be it. Quarterbacks don't last as long. There aren't many quarterbacks that will play all 17 games in the league. And as any general manager nowadays has to know it. And they have to prepare for it. And it's not... You know, let's uh, let's find some guy in the practice squad and let's call him up. No, you, you you can't do that. Your number two has to be a fringe competitor for the number one spot. Your number two quarterback has to give your number one a good run and be able to understand the offense that's in front of you. That number two uh, has to have the ability. Uh, to to be able to gain the same kind of confidence with the wide receivers and skill position players on the team as your QB1 does. Because it's not good enough to just go from QB1 to all of a sudden journeyman guy out of Division II undrafted uh, jumping into the league. Because in situations like these, and in a way, I don't like that the NFL did it, But in a way, I'm glad they did. So everybody can see 
which teams know how to build their rosters, which teams take certain positions and their depth seriously. And I, I'll throw Pittsburgh out. I, I don't like the way Pittsburgh has kind of uh, uh, you know built itself the last couple of years, but I'll, I'll take Cincinnati. I'll take Indy. Indy, of course, knowing that it had a rookie quarterback at the helm. I'll take those two teams and I'll credit their front offices because those front offices were the ones that were able to kind of uh, kind of keep these teams in position to win down the stretch and not feel like that there's a, a major drop-off at the most important position on the team. It is off the bench here on ESPN Honolulu. Our Zephyr Insurance text line is at 808-296-1420. Uh, you can call us at 808-296-1420. You can get in touch with us a uh, number of different ways here uh, throughout the program. In the meantime, when you kind of look ahead to the games next week, and I know there's still a game going on uh, right now, Monday Night Football between the Eagles and the Seahawks, but look ahead uh, to next week and some of those same games. I mean, we'll see the Bengals and Steelers again a Saturday. Um, we'll see those teams that uh, you know have an opportunity to prove, especially with, with Cincinnati, get Browning on the road. Can he keep the momentum going? Uh, that's another critical playoff game. Steelers on the fringe. The Bengals right now uh, are in in the position that they're in the moment. The Texans, will C.J. Stroud be available? The Texans right now are out looking to get back in. And, of course, the Browns. Uh, Joe Flacco, need I say more uh, for, for Cincinnati? So there are still some games next week in which there is uh, absolutely a, uh, a showcase for some of these backup quarterbacks to be able to make a name and uh, push their teams to the way to the place that they need to be. Uh, let's get our M Dyer Global scoreboard in here. It's brought to you by M Dyer Global, moving Hawaii into the future. Over on ABC and on our sister station CBS fifteen hundred, it is uh, Monday Night Football. Eagles with a ten three lead in Seattle. Uh, that is at halftime. Jalen Hurts, who's playing sick, has run for a touchdown. Uh, Drew Locke starting for Geno Smith, although Geno Smith is active. Uh, but it's a 10-3 game it is uh, at halftime. Of course, you can uh, hear that on CBS 1500. Again, uh, you can watch that game. It is on uh, ABC. And in the NBA, they're in overtime in Cleveland. Cavs up 133-124 on the Houston Rockets. They've got 30 seconds left there in overtime. Uh, in the fourth quarter, the uh, Detroit Pistons could very well lose again. 115-107 lead for Atlanta over Detroit. Uh, they're tied at 97, Minnesota-Miami, 3.30 to go in the fourth, and uh, just over two minutes to play in the fourth. Raptors with a 109-97 lead on Charlotte. That's your M. Dyer Global scoreboard. M. Dyer Global always on the move. Off the bench here on ESPN Honolulu. Get a traffic update coming up at the top of the hour. We got Sports Center on the way as well. It is off the bench on... ESPN Honolulu. Uh, the Zephyr Insurance text line is at 808-296-1420. Uh, we mentioned a little while ago, college football, uh, right into bowl season. One of the games we got to see the uh, Starco Brands LA Bowl presented by or, or hosted, excuse me, 
uh, by Gronk. Uh, that game took place on Saturday, Boise State and UCLA. Uh, but Chip Kelly, the uh, UCLA coach, uh, was also asked quite a bit about where the uh, college football landscape is right now. And one of the things he was asked about was separating football and other college athletics. Uh, And I think this was on ESPN television today, actually. Um, But he was asked why separating football and everything else would be good. This is the UCLA head coach earlier. I think it would be good for college athletics. Football obviously drives the engine in terms of revenue, but there's other sports to consider. And I think when people talk about travel and things like that, for football, it's not a big deal because we only play 12 games a year. We're going to play five away games. You got a week between each game. So travel is not a big deal for us. I think travel is a big deal for the other sports. When conference realignment happens, it was because of TV dollars for football. But I don't think the other sports were being considered. It's obviously we have to have the revenue to support all the sports at at our schools. But I, I think for football in general, we need a commissioner. We need a separate entity. And we need to kind of follow the NFL model. And that's what the model I was talking about. They've done it. You know, it's not like I'm making anything up. I didn't come up with a revolutionary idea. The, the NFL does it right now. The only difference is we have more teams. So we would have 64 at the Power 5 level. And, you know, there's about another 64, 65 at the Group of 5 level. But there's a model to follow. And I, I think the NFL model is is one that works. And I think everybody would win in the end. Football would win and all the other sports would win. All right. uh, First off, let's not compare college football to the NFL. Um, They are the two most popular sports in all of uh, North America. Uh, Yes, I'm putting college football by itself, which uh, is ironic in this conversation. But let's not make that comparison that the NFL does it just fine. Uh, The NFL still is its own entity. It doesn't need anybody's help. There is nothing else to fund. Uh, No, that's, that's entirely, entirely entirely different Um, where I think Chip Kelly is right is that college football is kind of half on its way to being on its own. So, you know, I, while I don't believe it needs to separate from the rest of college athletics, I do believe that having a commissioner is kind of interesting, but I think, you know, the NCAA needs to figure it out. They've already weaned off college football's championship to a private entity. I mean, the NCAA does not, uh, you know, the the NCAA allows the game to happen, but it's not the NCAA national championship. It's the college football playoff national championship. The NCAA really does not have the same kind of power in a a game like that as it does, um, you know, with its FCS uh, division to even its basketball and volleyball tournaments. So the NCA needs to, I, I think, get off the fence, which is a term that we like to use here in uh, in sports talk radio. Either you completely walk away, and you say, you know what, we're we we cannot control, um, we we cannot control what college football teams are doing anymore. We're gonna stop worrying about whether players are. Um, you know, wh- whether players are eligible, we're going to leave it very minimum. You, know, you got to have a 2.0 GPA. You've got to be eligible for school. But, you know, we're we're going to stay away from 
the uh, you know the rest of it. We can't enforce it anymore. It's too big. We've 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 let the playoff go on its own. We'll we'll take every most everything else away from what we do. We'll let a commissioner run it. Um, you guys can make the rules, and then you figure that out. Although remember, that's not all of college football. Um, that's just for the sixty some odd schools that are in the power conferences. I'm not talking about the rest of the FBS. I'm not talking about the FCS, and I'm not talking about every other division that the NCAA oversees in college football. Either the NCAA lets it go, or the NCAA takes it all back. And I don't think that we're at the point that the NCAA takes it all back, considers the college football postseason like it does the FB, uh, the FCS or Division Two or Division Three. Um, you know, heavies up its enforcement of college football rules and making sure that, uh, you know, they can, they can police these schools because they really can't. They're relying on compliance at these schools to do so. Um, they got to figure out one way or another, or we're going to continue to have these conversations. And let, and let me go back to something that, um, the new NCA president has brought up, which is the idea of saying, hey, um, you know, we're going to create a, a, a separate division for all these schools that want to pay their players directly as compared to what, what, it, what it is now. You're working off a collective or you're, you know, you're, you're kind of going through the compliance still in order to make sure everything is kosher. But again, you're still just kind of, laying in the NCA weeds in, in what is a completely complex system. So you, you've got to kind of figure it out. But what you don't want, and I think this is where the Chip Kellys don't matter, or they, or they don't care. Nick Saban doesn't care. Uh, other big-time power conference coaches, uh, coaches, the Lincoln Rileys, the Ryan Days, the Jim Harbaugh's, they don't care. But once you take away football and separate itself from everything else. I mean, you are effectively starting to kill off uh, the rest of college football and basically say the rest of it doesn't matter. And it's those programs that are left in the dark by all the power conference schools doing their own thing. That will be the ones that most hurt their athletic programs, the rest of their athletic programs, the track and fields, the swimming and diving, the water polos and all those. I don't think Chip Kelly truly understands running an athletic department can run a football program like the best of them. I don't think he is incredibly knowledgeable on running an athletic department. This is how I see it. You take, a, you, you take those power conference schools and move them up on their own television networks will then say, you know what? We don't really need, um, we don't, we don't have a need anymore for American athletic conference football, unless it's on a linear plat or not linear, but unless it's on a digital platform, so we can put it there because now it's considered like the FCS. It's not the same football. It's not the same top tier football. So no, we don't, we don't, any longer need to have that as much as we do on TV. Put them on digital, pay them less money, 
uh, which means the programs hurt because one thing Chip Kelly was right on, television money does does control things in college athletics. Throw the TV money, throw it to the uh, the big power conferences, throw less of it to the Mountain West, throw less of it to the American, throw less of it to Conference USA, and that, folks, is how you you can kill off the rest of your athletics programs. Then you don't have to worry about separating football and everybody else. You've, you've just separated everything uh, in such a negative way. I, I think that's what's missed. The power conferences don't care because they don't know. And they get so much money already, it doesn't, it doesn't really bother them. Uh, the Hawaii's know what it's like with travel. They know how much of a burden it is. They also know how much of a burden that they lessen for schools that come here from uh, within their conference as part of their agreements. The Hawaii's know that. And the last thing I'm sure Hawaii wants to hear is someone throwing out the idea that you should be separating football from everything else and making and putting everything else on their own and, and making football its own uh, NCAA identity. That's the last thing that uh, that you want to hear anybody throw out. For the record, by the way, uh, I have been spending some time uh, watching. What, what did I see earlier this weekend? The Colorado School of Mines playing in one of the, uh, uh, I think it was the Division Three National Championship. You know what? Uh, you don't watch it all that often because it's never on TV. Hence what I'm talking about with when, when you elevate everybody else, you make schools like Hawaii and New Mexico part of like the FCS have-nots. Division three college football national championship, the uh, Stag Bowl, the Division two national championship. Those games are fun. When those games get on TV, don't miss them. Sports Center traffic coming up. Maybe it's much too early. Coming up, we got the Brotherhood, Pride, Tradition, and Excellence. It's at the top of the next hour. We've also got uh, the Iolani Classic, uh, presented by Hawaii Pacific Health, which is uh, underway, night number one. Uh, first game just uh, went final a little while ago, Pace Academy and Kamehameha Maui. We're going to have tonight uh, St. Louis, who has uh, bounced back from its loss to University Lab in the uh, Surfriders Holiday Classic. St. Louis has won, uh, was it, eight of their last nine They've got St. John Bosco, uh, one of the top 25 teams in the nation. We've got that on CBS 1500 tonight. Our coverage right around 720. So we'll have that a little bit later on for you. Kamehameha's playing in a little over an hour. Uh, we'll have uh, nightly coverage. The uh, Basically, the, uh, the, the final game of the night, we'll have that every night for you uh, right, uh, right over on our sister station again. CBS 1500. You can get in touch with us. There's Zephyr Insurance text lines at 808-296-1420. You can call us at 808-296-1420. Send us your uh, tweets as well. I'm on uh, the X platform at Josh on the radio. All right. Uh, Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic presented by the Hawaiian Islands kicks off on Thursday. I'm curious um, where the Hawaii basketball fan base is on this team now that it is played, I, I think, arguably, its most important non-conference game of the year. Um, you know, Again, no disrespect to Utah, really, but Nevada was closer to really Hawaii's level, and Hawaii was there, and, uh, and, and Hawaii couldn't 
really couldn't get a, the last couple of possessions in its favor. Hawaii could not hit three-pointers in the second half, and, and Hawaii in the second half also struggled from the free-throw line. Um, how comfortable do you feel about this Hawaii team not only going into the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic presented by the Hawaiian Islands, but also uh, going into Big West Conference play, which uh, gets underway for the Bows on Saturday, December 30th. If you had to put me in that position right now, I would say I feel good. I don't know if I feel great about where Hawaii is at. We kind of you know, labeled out a couple of things in hour number one about some of what Hawaii, uh, I think, did and didn't do in the Nevada game, which I think is kind of the baseline test for what Hawaii is going to have to now do and do better in uh, with the, the three games in four days, but also in those games that matter uh, in Big West play. But I think where I feel where I feel good is that this team has scoring ability. Um, where I don't feel as good is the consistency of where you get it. Uh, I think playing against you know these these taller guards like we saw from Nevada, uh, I think kind of says the latter. But I to to go back to the scoring ability and having different places to get it from. You know, we can talk about the lack of threes, but, you know, Bernardo De Silva offensively was, uh, that was one of his better games. Uh, I, I think not just, not just early this year, but I'd say in the last couple of years, that was probably one of his best performances. And I still believe that Bernardo's got, um, still got some ability to grow. That's the the good and the bad, I think, with Bernardo De Silva. And I think a lot of people have had, Understandably, their uh, their concerns about Bernardo. I've I've heard some people even throw out that he needs to be tougher. Uh, you know, there's some fairness to that. He needs to be a little more decisive. Yes, there is some fairness to that. Clearly, just wait. You know, when you see the ball get in the post, how long it takes for him to either take his first dribble or uh, or make a pass happen. Yeah, uh, all that is fair. But you know what I saw yesterday from him that makes me feel confident about his ability to be a difference maker uh, going farther down the road. I saw some emotion from Bernardo. I, I saw him play with the confidence to know that he can be physical with just about anybody. And while that hasn't always been the case, I, I don't want Bernardo to start feeling that way. You know, part of, being able to accomplish all of that is knowing within yourself that you can do it. Knowing that within yourself, you are more than capable of being a, uh, you know, a, a difference maker in the post. What is clear um, is that they need him on the floor. What is also clear to me, and this is where you have the great and not so good, is you saw yesterday when De Silva was in foul trouble, ultimately fouled out. It came down at at one point. I think we saw uh, Justin McCoy at the five. I think we saw Harry Ruleyf at the four, because Hawaii needed some you know, some offense from the outside. And it, you know when you're trying to chase 
getting a, a, a game-making shot from the perimeter, you can't really have more sec on the floor, unfortunately. And more sec defensively was really good yesterday. But when you start seeing foul trouble in the post, Hawaii's not deep there. And you find yourself in positions, and I think Iran Ganat was stuck in this yesterday. Um, I think you would have liked to have seen a little more, uh, a little more of more, because you saw him changing shots, you saw him, um, you know, playing tough in the painted area, but you also saw a little bit of the immaturity from him, uh, you know, being caught off his feet. Uh, committing fouls that he needs to be a little smarter defensively in keeping himself from committing. Um, you know, when when Hawaii is in the position that you're kind of forced to to have a four and five of Ruliadef and McCoy, uh, that's that's not good necessarily. And and you're caught in that situation, and you saw a, a defense for offense sub. Uh, I think in the last 30 seconds or so where you know you needed Ruliadef on the floor because you needed the ability to get a key three, but that meant you had to take more sec out. And I think normally in that position, you'd want Ruliadef on the floor. It would be probably Bernardo Da Silva that you would take out. Um, but you also needed kind of a, a – you had to sacrifice a little bit rebounding there too. So it, that – that has been a concern in the past. I, I think it's a continued concern, um, you know, keeping guys out of trouble, especially with fouls uh, late. And that definitely did show up, I think, in in last night's game against Nevada. So you know, the, the really good, um, you know, adding McCoy to that front court mix, although I would say more on the, uh, not necessarily on the height end, but because he kind of stretches the floor out for you a little bit, good. Um, but Hawaii cannot afford to have any of their post players, whether it is Moore or De Silva, more so De Silva, uh, less McCoy. I don't worry about McCoy as much in foul trouble, but once De Silva's in foul trouble, that gets very concerning, I think, for this for this group. Um, and, and then I think where we finish off the good but not necessarily great feeling about this Hawaii basketball team, and that's kind of where we're we're bringing you in. How do you feel about this Hawaii basketball team as we head into the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic uh, presented by the Hawaiian Islands? The, the other reason that I, I say good but not great is... I want to see, and, and I, I still haven't necessarily seen it. That's why we go back to the conversation we had last hour about scheduling and preparing teams to be good down the stretch to win close games. Again, this was the first game in which Hawaii was tested in the final few minutes. First game. And while Hawaii hung around, you saw those last couple of possessions. Hawaii looked frenetic. Hawaii looked, um, you know, out of sorts. Didn't know what to do. I, I think of that that Justin McCoy turnover, uh, dribbling off of his foot, trying to dribble into the lane, trying to create a drive and kick. Um, that's a good reminder of what Hawaii's offense at times looked like in the second half. No three-point shooting availability because of Nevada's defense. It just looked like it was moving too quick. Its initial reaction is, catch and drive right into the teeth of the defense in which you didn't have anybody dribbling the ball 
that could get by a defender. And so you basically had, like I think of that second-to-last possession um, before McClanahan's double dribble, and you basically have... Um, you have guys dribbling left into defenses, dribbling right into defenses, and Nevada saying, hey, we can we can defend that all day. We're just not going to give you an open shot. We're, our defense isn't going to lapse all that often, and yet the first instinct is drive and kick, drive and kick, drive and kick, but not necessarily having the angle to drive and kick. Those last few possessions, the other thing too, gone was the screen and roll because you didn't have time. The pick-and-roll offense um, didn't have time to materialize, and a lot of those times, um, you know, those those offensive sets are very slow to develop. So you can easily kind of figure out Hawaii in those, in those key possessions because if you defensively play them well, you'll, do exact, you'll see exactly what you saw on Sunday. A team that as good as it was throughout most of that game on the other side um frankly did not know how to finish McClanahan's double dribble he had a taller defender right at the top of the three-point line knew the time was running knew he wasn't going to get a shot off over that taller defender and so he was unsure of what to do he was caught kind of flat-footed he was caught in a position where um you know time's running out didn't know, double dribble. And that's kind of uncharacteristic of Hawaii in the close of games when it, it relies on the offense. It doesn't necessarily rely on free throw shooting. And I and, and and no, I didn't forget, guys, that Hawaii in close games last year, free throws lost games. And no, I didn't forget about the end of the Hawaiian Airlines Diamondhead Classic. I'm reminded of that all the time. But I don't know if I see right now that Hawaii team that when you put them in a close game, Hawaii can excel in that close game. I'm not sure that I see it yet. And maybe this is the event that gives you the opportunity to see that and give you some confidence going into uh, to, to Big West play. But right now, I, I don't know that I'm so sure about it. So that's the that's the worry. That's why I say with Hawaii basketball going in the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic, I feel good, but I don't feel great. I want to see this team know how to play in the final couple minutes. I want to see this team be better at the free throw line because Hawaii is less than 70% at the free throw line on the season, and that is not, um, for this team, that's not acceptable. And I want to see Hawaii avoid losing its front court depth uh, based on foul trouble. Seen uh, seen enough of that in a few games this year. You can't afford to have that in games against teams that are as good, if not better, than you. Our Zephyr Insurance text lines at 808-296-1420. You can call us at 808-296-1420. We are brought to you by HCAMP, the Hawaii Concussion Awareness Management Program. Uh, they help parents and athletes and coaches learn about potential signs and symptoms of uh, of a potential concussion. Visit them online, hawaiiconcussion.com. Traffic here, it's off the bench, ESPN Honolulu. Got another Sports Center update, which is coming up in just about nine minutes. 
It is off the bench here on ESPN Honolulu. Good to have you in. I'm Josh Pacheco. Hunter Hughes, by the way, is on vacation. He will be back on, oh gosh, when will he be back? We got one show next week because, oh no, we got we got two. We got the 30-minute uh, the bonanza on uh, Christmas, uh, the day after Christmas. We got a full show on Wednesday. And then after that, we are, uh, we're done for 2023. So Hunter will be back with us on December 26th until that time. Uh, you're stuck with me uh, all week long, including Thursday. Uh, we have a shorter show, but we'll be doing that from uh, uh, Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center because uh, we've got uh, Rainbow Warrior Countdown ahead of uh, Hawaii's game against Portland in the uh, Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic presented by the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, recruiting, uh, we got to see what uh, what Hawaii did over the weekend, although uh, Hawaii didn't name any names. There was uh, an interesting uh, post on X from uh, Savannah Ryer who basically said Hawaii went 8-for-8 eight eight over the weekend. What does that mean? We'll learn soon enough because the early signing period begins uh, in two days, and we're already seeing guys telling people where they're going to sign, where to check them out. Uh, so uh, there will there will be some of the obvious ones that you know uh, that we'll we'll get to see. But there is uh, a really interesting drama that is going to be coming out of Oregon because we already know Dylan Gabriel made the transfer from uh, from Oklahoma to Oregon, but they also got. Uh, another transfer quarterback did Oregon today. Dante Moore, who uh, was at UCLA, who is a five-star quarterback in the class of 2023, uh, was initially going to Oregon, uh, but then flipped to UCLA. And uh, now both of those guys are going to be in the same quarterback class next year. And by the way, Dante Moore did play this year, played for UCLA uh, as a freshman, 11 touchdowns, nine interceptions, uh, didn't play in, and obviously because of the transfer portal, didn't play in the uh, Starco Foods LA Bowl hosted by Gronk in which UCLA won uh, 35 to 22. But it does create something really interesting, and I'm curious about how Dante Moore handles this. Um you're a five-star guy who just played significant power five conference time as a freshman. And granted, um, there were a lot of less than stellar performances. The three picks thrown against Oregon state and a loss uh, through a couple of picks against Cal. They got blown out 33 to seven. Um, some guys know the long game and you've got two, you know, starting quarterbacks on the same team, that is A, uh, that's a plus for Oregon, but B, that tells me Dante Moore is a really, really smart kid. Because if I think I know what he did by uh, following Dylan Gabriel over to, to Oregon, going from one soon-to-be Big Ten school to another soon-to-be Big Ten school, I think he realized that he could use a year of learning from Dylan Gabriel. I think he realized he's going to see some time, probably not a lot of quality time on the field, but he knows after this freshman year, he'll probably have a year, maybe two years 
um, to lead Oregon unless Oregon feels like it needs another transfer quarterback to step in right away and take the reins of that offense. But he'll have a year, maybe two, to make himself look draft eligible and draft stock worthy um, in a high-powered offense that has seen the likes of Marcus Mariota and most recently Bo Nix. It's also a really good reminder, I think, because I I, I can only go on that assumption that that's why he's doing it, um, that some quarterbacks know that it isn't about just, hey, I want to play now. There are some that enter the portal that I don't think truly understand uh, when they make the decision, they're thinking about now, but then they don't they don't necessarily guarantee the ability to play now. And then they realize they're kind of stuck. I mean, up until, you know, right now with the transfer portal rule changes that okay, you've you've made your transfer. Now the second one, you gotta sit out a year. Again, that that is on hold, but you don't realize that you put yourself in that position where you now have set yourself back in your career. And if you don't play well at your your new spot, you look like, A, you're chasing playing time by not competing in a school, and B, you might look overrated. So if you play the long game, you learn from a better quarterback, you learn from being in a really good system, and then when your name is called, you look like a potential Heisman guy, that's the best situation you could be in. Traffic coming up. Sports Center's on the way. You're listening to Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. I feel like we need to give a a Braden Shaker update just because there have been a lot of people asking over the weekend, even coming into today, uh, has Braden Shaker made a decision yet? We've heard a lot of different rumors. I mean, Hunter and I talked about it on Friday. Uh, based on uh, parts of the conversation that that he could share that wasn't necessarily, I mean, it was a, a personal conversation, so you could understand why a lot of that wasn't uh, necessarily made privy. Uh, but to which Hunter Hughes had said uh, here on Friday's show that he would be a little surprised if uh, Braden Shager returned to the University of Hawaii football team, where all these rumors were swirling around Thursday going into Friday that maybe... Uh, there's a chance that Braden Shager returns to the Hawaii football program. And uh, just for those that I feel like need an update, because, uh, you know, it's it's only one of the talks of the Hawaii football landscape here at the moment. Uh, no, and I just did a Google search, or not a Google search, I did a social media search just in case. Um, no, we do not have word just yet on whether he has made a decision or not. Uh, right now, Braden Shager is just still in the portal and uh, still waiting to kind of figure out what he's going to do. But I had a conversation with with someone yesterday that made some good points on kind of what happens here. Like, you know, do you want him back? Do you not want him back? Do you, uh, you know, are you are you comfortable with whether he returns or not? And largely, I'm one of those people that says, you know, if he comes back, awesome. Uh, you know, given his his yardage numbers, given his ability to improve in an offense, given how comfortable he looked toward the end, that um, I want playmakers, and uh, and I want guys who uh, can lead. 
the, the, the side that I understood having this conversation with someone yesterday was on, on the side of not necessarily wanting him back was the side of, well, you know, he already made his decision. You know, this person doesn't like people who just kind of like flip flop on decisions that basically, um, you know, they, uh, they can't stick with something, and all of a sudden it leaves uh, a lot of people in limbo about what is next. It leaves potential recruits. It leaves your leadership team. It leads your your coaches. It leaves, leaves an entire locker room kind of not sure what is next. And as much as I am pro-return, because I understand the, you know, not only the business angle, but I, I do also understand how difficult these decisions are. While I am very pro-return, I am also very understandable um, to that kind of feeling that, you know, um, it's not necessarily the greatest look, and I want someone who's committed. I want I want someone who knows he wants to be here that is you know, undeniably, um, you know, a part of this team and doesn't have like these second thoughts or, uh, or, or whatever it is. I get it. It's a personal thing and you take away the business part of it because there certainly is a business aspect to that. Take away that it's a personal thing. Um, nobody feels good when like in relationships or other things, nobody feels good when you go out and try to find something greener and you realize it isn't necessarily much better, um, but you hope that what you've had all along, you hope that it's still there and that it still wants you and isn't going away and is still loyal to you, even though you necessarily haven't been loyal uh, to that individual. I get it. Um, but I also know that these 17, well, more so I'll, I'll take away the freshman these 18 to 21, 22, even 23-year-olds are making the biggest decisions of their careers, and they may have the right people or the wrong people, depending on what it is, helping them making these decisions for them. Um, all I know is Shager's being surrounded by people that are part of a, uh, like, what is it, a, an agency group that is partially run by Lil Wayne. I don't know much about them. I don't know how much they're in his ear. I don't know how much legwork that they did um, prior to it. But I kind of believe that if you, and, and maybe this is the learning lesson. If this is the case that he comes back and nobody knows, it's just the the hot rumor on the street, which, you know, we all, we all love rumors. Um, if he goes back, that tells me that he needs better representation. That... You had people that probably guided you in a direction that they thought was good for you, but really was probably good for them. Because we know as much as we talk about life lessons and life decisions, these 18 to 22, 23 year olds aren't doing it on their own. And in fact, they're probably given the kind of advice that they probably would not have thought of. So, um, you know, if, if you end up coming back to Hawaii, it's kind of like saying, yeah, um, I was right all along. The people talking to me, they weren't because they saw opportunities in potential Power 5 programs, so we hear. 
Um, that might have been better for me. But the realization is that maybe it wasn't. I see that it wasn't. And I've got to kind of go back on what they wanted. And I, I've got to change the people who I, who I am around. And then, of course, you also got to hope that uh, you still have the support of the people that you want to go back to. That's the that's the other dangerous thing. But uh, to me, it is growing up. Not to say that Braden Shager's immature and not grown up or any of those things, but as you get older, as you start, the, the youngins call it, as you start adulting, um, you will make decisions that are wrong. You will make some decisions that set you up really well, but you'll also listen to the wrong people that want to get to, um, you know, do whatever's best for them, they're going to lead you the wrong way. And you've got to make the decision better to make the mistake early than late. You've got to make the decision whether uh, the the right, you know, whether that decision is going to benefit you uh, and you know that it does as compared to chasing what potentially is bigger. And once you're wrong, the good news is if you make the wrong decision early, you have an opportunity to atone for it later to say that, hey, I learned that I got some bad advice and I tried to to make a decision that was best for me when it really wasn't. And you know what? I'm going to be better from that and uh, I'm going to make better decisions in life. This is uh, this is this is what's going to help me. That's what I think we we get to see here down the stretch. And unfortunately for a lot of them. Um, it plays out in front of all of us because college football is such a big sport. The transfer portal is such a big deal. We all see it. Texter from the uh, Zephyr Insurance text line from the 208. Shagergate, is it money? Um, I would, I, I don't know for sure, but you know how it usually is, right? In... Well, I, I shouldn't say you know how it usually is because the, the transfer portal and, and the money involved in it is not something we usually talk about. Um, normally in these cases, in high-profile positions, it does come down to money. And I would not be surprised if money is a part of the conversation about what is possibly there for you somewhere else and what is possibly there for you here. And what I'd love to know, and again, I don't know the answer. I'd love to know what the potential NIL opportunities are here. I'd love to know um, what kind of ability that he has, um, you know, to, to be able to keep playing here that is either monetarily better or visibly better. If he had to ask me to make a decision on how I feel about whether money is involved, I'd probably say yes. Because if you're a quarterback and you're, you're top 10 in yards and uh, you've been in the conversation of, you know, the passing leaderboard, then yeah. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be money that would make you think about going elsewhere? Visibility. Sure. But that also probably comes with money. Just if, if I had to guess, I'd probably say yes. You know what the, the awkward thing about it will be is that whatever decision he makes, he's going to have to answer for it. And uh, why, how, you know, 
all those things, you'll you'll probably have to um, explain a little bit about what led him to a decision. Again, the transfer portal is very public. It is not private where you have a private decision to make and nobody else needs to know about it. A lot of it is very, very, very much public. Want to remind you, uh, we are brought to you by Kahala. We Usually it's Kahala Fridays. Uh, it's, a, it's a Kahala Monday. But you can upgrade your island style with Kahala, the original Aloha shirt. Since 1936, pick one up for yourself at one of Kahala's six stores island-wide or at kahala.com. Over on uh, ABC and on our sister station, CBS 1500, they're coming down the stretch in Seattle. Monday Night Football, Eagles up 17-10 on Seattle, 10.03 to go. Uh, Seahawks I'm going to go for a field goal to try to get it down to a uh, four-point game. Again, ABC Television, CBS 1500 is where you can listen to that as well. Uh, final words coming up here in just a little bit. It is off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost. Final words coming up here in just a little bit. Don't forget... Uh, we've got the Brotherhood Pride Tradition and Excellence that's coming up in uh, about 15 minutes here on ESPN Honolulu Monday Night Football on CBS 1500, followed by uh, the, well, not immediately after, but uh, a little bit later, the Iolani Classic presented by Hawaii Pacific Health, uh, which will feature uh, St. Louis and St. John Bosco. St. John Bosco is yet to lose this year. Uh, so uh, we'll see that coming up. Uh, our broadcast time about 7.20 on CBS 1500. By the way, uh, I'm just seeing the video of what happened within the last 20, 25 minutes or so. They have indeed put up a banner in Crypto.com Arena for the Lakers in-season tournament championship. And I, I laugh I, I shouldn't laugh. It's a championship. You want to celebrate whatever you can celebrate. I, I get it. But I laugh because they put that banner right next to the world championship banners of old. The old uh, blue and yellow 1954 season world championship right above, right below the 1953 season championship. They've got those five blue and gold uh, retro banners that are up there in the Raptors at crypto.com arena. And then right next to it, a completely different sized, completely different colored in season tournament banner. And they have a, they, they have a video and uh, Ben Golliver, I think put it up from, uh, I think he's with SI and uh, no Washington post. I beg your pardon. And, Got the video of that. Brings the camera down to courtside where they've got the in-season tournament trophy. And then you look at the players on the court as they're standing together. Some of the staffers, they're they're watching it. I'm looking at LeBron James. He's not really even looking. He's just he's just waiting for it to end. Hands in the pockets of his uh um you know workout pants and then right to the opposite side of the floor. I think at that point they prepare for the national anthem there, but like didn't care. Some of the other players just stood there, watched a little bit of it, turned and walked away. Didn't really care. You know, random staffer here clapping because you know, it's, it's polite, right? But we really are at the point now where we are celebrating in season tournament championships. 
And I, I get the Lakers went seven and zero. The Lakers also don't have a great uh, record in season in general. Um, I could see if, let's say, it was the Pacers. You beat the Lakers in the in season tournament championship. You know, you don't, you haven't had a recent um, postseason championship to celebrate. All right, I get it. I get that. Put up an in season tournament banner. Show the sign of what you are hoping to accomplish based on that win. Cool. If you're another team, I would have said like the Pelicans, if uh, they had passed the Lakers in the uh, the Western Conference side of that tournament, if, if it were uh, uh, like probably 25 other teams, then hang that sucker up, enjoy it, celebrate it, act like it's the biggest thing in the world in late December, you know, do that thing up and then go and play. But this is this is sad for a franchise that won a championship during a bubble, uh, is one of the most iconic franchises in the NBA, has the best player in the game, has one of the best post players in the game, uh, has an incredibly talented roster, has one of the most, um, I shouldn't say loyal fan bases, but um, owns L.A., uh, has kept the Clippers at bay for a long time. Uh, the Clippers will will have their own venue uh, very soon. And then to hang that, make the big deal and and put all the flashing lights around it to hang to hang that is just deplorable. If if you're gonna do it, don't put it next to World Championship banners. Don't don't equate that as the same thing as winning a title in the fifties. Don't even put it next to your current ones. You want to you want to do something with the in-season tournament championship? Go find the other end of crypto.com arena to put it. Maybe go put it up in the concourse. Like you know how Hawaii has the um NCAA tournament bracket for its uh national championship. Um you know, it's actually right behind our broadcast position for Rainbow Warrior Countdown, but it's displayed, it's hanging right against the window right next to the uh, to the trophy case, you know, like that. And I'm not saying it to diminish the volleyball championship because um, that's a really cool thing to walk by every day, the, the volleyball championship uh, bracket. That's cool. But you want to put you, you want to put that somewhere? Put that in the concourse right next to that cheap fast food place that's not so cheap because it's in an arena and you can't leave. That's where you put it. That's 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 almost sickening. And I'm not even a Laker fan, but I'm I'm embarrassed for that franchise that that's what they got to celebrate today uh, on a Monday night. Celebrate the fact that you're still playing on Christmas Day and you probably don't even deserve to play on Christmas Day. Go uh, go celebrate that, why don't you? Uh, final word today comes on uh, college football's bowl season. We actually probably had uh, the best bowl game so far of the schedule and it got shuffled networks because uh, the NFL pregame show is more important than the famous toastery bowl, uh, which used to be the Bahamas bowl, but then, uh, but then the stadium in the Bahamas was under construction and not ready. So they moved that over to Charlotte called it the famous toastery bowl and uh, gave us an overtime game between Western Kentucky and old dominion in which the Hilltoppers won 38 to 35 but the ending, the game was on ESPN television. They had to move the ending of that game to ESPN two because um, you know 
Monday Night Countdown grabs more of an audience than the famous Toastery Bowl. Um, but that being said, there are some good games on the schedule. If you need something to watch, let me help you. The uh, and, and I'm not just talking about the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl coming up on Saturday, uh, which you'll hear right here uh, on ESPN Honolulu, uh, Coastal Carolina, and San Jose State is that game. And oh, by the way, we'll have tickets uh, all week long for you to win to check out the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl. But if you if you need some storyline games, if you need something that is um, worth your while. I'm going to give you a few um, that if you need to kind of schedule out your weekend, uh, plan your Christmas shopping later, um, I'm here to help you. For example, uh, I will give you the, uh, the uh, not the Camellia Bowl, the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. 10.30 a.m. coming up on Saturday. Why? Air Force, first off, uh, a Mountain West member, who lost their last four in the uh, in the season, playing in a bowl game? Although I mean, it's one of the worst drop offs you'll see. You know, going into a bowl game, coming from Air Force, but they get James Madison, and uh, we got to see over the weekend the uh, the other team that was able to qualify for a bowl despite making the FBS uh, FCS to FBS transition, and that was Jacksonville State, uh, winning the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl in overtime over Louisiana, 34 to 31. Um, I would love to see James Madison beat Air Force. And then I would love to see down the road. I have said this for years. I am a, I am a champion of this. We need to get rid of the transition from FBS, uh, from FCS to FBS. We need to get rid of that four year transitional period. It is um, definitely unnecessary. And if you can see these two teams that are only in there because there weren't enough teams that would qualify for a bowl. If you see James Madison win, then I think we got to have another talk about this rule because these two teams, um, hopefully with, with James Madison winning would show that they don't need an exception to be able to play in these bowl games and compete. I'll see you tomorrow. Coming up next, it's the brotherhood pride tradition and excellence.